I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. What else of the podcast? My name is Kyle Dabra. What's going on, everybody? Kevin Valentin here, other half of the podcast. Happy Sunday, bro. Yes, sir. Got to start off a new week fresh, but I got to ask you, how was your weekend, bro? Weekend was good. Mrs. spent the whole weekend with us. You know, me and the pup just had a good time. Had the baseball game on Saturday. Kind of cool to do with some friends. What do we do? We did gym today. Uh, hung out poolside with some friends, had a couple drinks, and then just kind of like ordered some pizza. So very simple and efficient uh, weekend. What about you? I had an up and down weekend to say the least. Uh, Sunday was fine. Sunday I just went to work, did my thing, and everything was cool. But dude, on Saturday, dude, I was not bad. My allergies kicked in, and dude, my family got to see me at my utter worst because they would just look at my face and it's like, oh my God, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, physically I feel fine. It's just like my face didn't with how puffy was looking from the allergy attack that I was having. So I was doing laundry over at my parents' place and I was waiting for the laundry to finish up. My family and I, we were playing Yahtzee and to set the scene of what I looked like when we were playing Yahtzee, my allergies were so bad. The light from the kitchen that we were sitting in was hurting. So I had to put on sunglasses, sunglasses inside. I look like I'm sitting at a freaking blackjack table or like a world series of poker table. And then putting on a freaking mask on top of that, just so that I could be able to breathe. Bro, I look like a tool. And then like, after like breathing three times, with this thing, it's too bad you guys that are just listening to the podcast aren't seeing this because this is quite a sight. But yeah, within like three or four breaths, I couldn't see because the inside of my glasses got foggy and then I had to take the glasses off. And then everybody was seeing the fact that I was a miserable wreck with how many tears were coming down my eyes. But yeah, other than that, you know, my weekend was great, bud. So we're we're ready to go. So if, if you guys see a, a tear come from my eyes it's not because i'm like crying from something that we're talking about it's just the fact that allergy season is here i got the experience of allergies putting up brawn type numbers back in the 2015 finals so they're they're off to a hot start so i'm just gonna have to roll with it as best as i can and uh i, I think kev had a light bout with the allergies as well this weekend as yeah it was uh i was telling kyle before we recorded because he had texted me was it yesterday or was it no, early this morning? It was this morning or it's a yeah, Sunday morning. I woke up this morning um, and I didn't like, I kind of tossed and turned. You know how you do when you first wake up, you're like, I don't want to get up. Saba was next to me. So I was like, all right, let me take the dog out. 
I sat up, like just sat up quickly. I looked over at Isabel and I was like, I'll take the dog out. And within like a millisecond of like sitting up and looking at her and looking at the dog, I felt my nose just fill up immediately with like phlegm and mucus. And I was like, I did one of those and I was like, shit. And I just, I knew instantly because I was like, damn, March is literally like right around the corner. And like, like Kyle said, it's just allergy season here in Florida right now. Like end of February, all of March through the beginning of April. All the pollen and all the trees and all that shit. It's just, it's all coming out right now. It's literally death to the point where at night, Kyle and I usually have random flare ups like, Eyes will start to water, nose will start to run, and I'm getting one now because I feel my eyes are getting itchy. But yeah, if you start seeing tears, or if like one of our cameras, or like if we're away from our chair, I'm, I'm probably blowing my nose or like washing my face out because these allergies. <clears throat> if you suffer with them, you understand. But for those of you that are blessed, don't have allergies. I hate you and I envy. Yeah, you I envy time. you a hundred percent. I also have a humidifier ready to go, so if I get a flare up, I'll just gonna turn that thing on whenever you're talking, and then usually that helps me get farther along so you won't be smoking uh, hookah guys it's the humidifier we swear no if you guys see steam yeah it's too bad i wish i had a little hookah set up right here that'd be nice and convenient but kind of cool yeah i'll get a little get a little haze get a little fog in here that'd be kind of (laughs) cool set the scene you know but uh no i mean outside of that outside of us you know talking about allergy season um we got to transition into some topics that we have on the slate for you guys um kev we got about four or five topics to get to could be a relatively efficient episode as far as i see it so you ready to get into it absolutely all right so first things first we'll go over some of the weekend games that took place in the nba one of the biggest ones was a western conference matchup between my team the lakers and kev's team in the mavericks the lakers march 27 points behind or come back from 27 points behind to defeat the Dallas Mavericks on the road. It's a huge win for the Lakers. Keeps their playoff hopes alive with really about 20 games left. And really when it comes to the Lakers and the Mavericks, I should throw them into the equation as well for this. Every game from here on out is going to matter because when you look at both teams records in the win loss column, the Mavs are in the six. Well, they may have bumped down to the seventh seed at this point, but I think they're still the six. The Mavs are only two games up on the Lakers in the loss column, and the Lakers are in the 11th seed as we currently speak. So the Lakers are making some moves. They're currently on a three-game win streak, and we'll talk about the game in depth, and we'll kind of see where both teams are going to go for these last 20-game stretches that they're going to have, respectively. The next game that we'll get to, this was probably the game of the weekend as far as I see it. Uh, It took place on Saturday. It was the Celtics 76ers game, which was electric from beginning to end. Jason Tatum at the end of the game hits a clutch three-point shot to put the Celtics up by three. And as time expired, Joel Embiid launches a freaking 65-foot shot from three-quarter court, drains it. But unfortunately for the 76ers, he shot the ball about a quarter second to a half second too late. The shot was waved off, and the Celtics march out of Philly with a really close road win they're still at the top of the eastern conference but it was such an exciting game to watch kevin and i will talk about the possibility of seeing these teams in a playoff scenario and we'll talk about whether or not who could potentially win a series between those two teams Uh, obviously they're some of the best teams in the eastern conference you could throw the bucks in there as well but because both of those teams played each other we'll just talk about which team that we would favor if 
both teams were to match up in the playoffs. Uh, after that, we will talk about the Milwaukee Bucks, who are on just an incredible pace right now. They've won 14 straight games. Some of these games that they've won have been without Giannis. Giannis has been dealing with a couple injuries here and there. Uh, they got a really big win over the Suns this past weekend. I believe that game took place on Sunday. And we'll just really talk about how impressive the Bucks have been on this win streak. And I think if I remember looking at the standings correctly, they're only a half game behind the Celtics for first place in the Eastern Conference. After that, we'll kick it to the NFL. We'll talk about our offseason fixes for the last two playoff teams. Uh, these two t- playoff teams made it to the Super Bowl. Obviously, we'll talk about the Eagles, and then we'll talk about the Chiefs to round out the episode. And then, be forewarned, there may be a tangent. Kevin and I always come up with a random tangent throughout our episodes. So just be forewarned, there may be one of those if it pops up. But that'll pretty much be the slate that we have on the agenda for you guys. So let's not waste any more time. Let's dive into this Dallas Mavericks-Los Angeles Lakers game. Kev, I know this is going to be a tough one for you. I'll take this one as drive because my team won. So we need all the wins that we can get at this point. But no, the Lakers go on the road, get a huge road win against the Mavericks. They come back from 27 points down. The Lakers got good contributions across the board. AD was the stat leader for the team. LeBron chipped in for some good points here and there. Jared Vanderbilt was also crucial in some elements of the game as well. And when it comes to the Mavericks, the Mavericks got off to a really good start. I mean, like I said, being up 27 points, that's a good lead to have. But the Lakers just chipped away at that lead. And the Lakers actually ended up taking the lead relatively early in the fourth quarter with about 10 minutes 10 and a half minutes to go in the fourth quarter. And then it was just back and forth. And then the Lakers were able to get some crucial buckets late to seal the game in their favor. So big win for the Lakers. This is a tough loss for the Mavericks. So Kevin, to kick this one to you, what are your takeaways from the Lakers mounting this incredible 27 point comeback against the Dallas Mavericks this past weekend? I mean, I've been saying it for years, and I'm going to apparently die on this hill, and no one's going to hear me. It's rebounding. Anthony Davis and and Jared Vanderbilt had uh, you know 15 and 17 rebounds, guys. That's that's that 32. What 32 between two players? Where's the box out? Where 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 are our centers? Where's our power forwards? Where's Christian Wood? Where's Dwight Powell? Oh, that's right. Christian Wood only had nine rebounds. Okay, so I'll give him a little bit of a pass. Then you go out there, and, and JaVel McGee didn't get a, a... He got a DNP. Dwight Powell has six rebounds. Like, really, guys? We got out-rebounded, and it was just... It was an atrocity. Like, how does Kyrie have 11 boards, bro? Our point guard has 11 rebounds. He out-rebounded all of our bigs. We have, we have absolutely no paint presence. We have no interior defense. We turned the ball over 16 times. We had little to no contributions outside of Christian Wood and Tim Hardaway off the bench. Holiday had six. Bullock had six. Dwight had six. I like what else, what what are we supposed to do with these inefficient numbers? I mean, granted, I will give them passes when Kyrie and Luca take forty four shots between the two of them, but they're our best playmakers. They're our best players in general. You gotta have them pull up shots, and I can't get mad because Tim Hardaway had thirteen. And uh, Chris, Christian Wood had 13 shots. We just don't know how to put teams away. We're not a good closeout, get, uh, a good closeout team. We are not a good defensive team. We are not a good rebounding team. So 
Yes, it is nice to have Kyrie and Luka. Yes, it is incredible to have the best first quarter and fourth quarter score. But what good does that do when we're losing to a team that is under 500? It's no disrespect to the Lakers. Again, a lot of the reasons why they're under 500, injuries, uh, bad personnel. Obviously, now they're, they're working on kind of like adapting as a new team with all of their added pieces that they've acquired. And D'Angelo Russell didn't play. That's another thing that pisses me off. We lost to a team that didn't have one of their better players. But, I mean, people stepped up for the Lakers, man. Like, like Kyle said, AD had 30. Vanderbilt had 15. LeBron had 26. Schroeder had 16. Uh, Malik Beasley had eight, but there were a couple shots where they very well could have gone in. He was had some open looks, but there's not much you can do when people are scoring at that at that efficiency of a clip. So it, I, I've been saying it over and over and over. If we do not get a big, we are never going to win another championship. It just... We can't have people that are soft. We can't have people missing layups at the rim. We can't have people getting out hustled on free throw rebounds. Like it just it's the little tiny grit plays that add up over and over each and every game to where it's like you you can't even overlook it. Like how the hell are we doing this? And by the way, just because we get Justin Holiday, that means that Jaden Hardy gets no minutes? That means that Theo Pinson gets no minutes? So the players that were producing while players were hurt and the players that were producing after the trade actually helped us win games and keep in game. This is why I look at Jason Kidd. I'm like, what are we doing right now? Like, who are we playing right now? Like, why is Reggie Bullock still getting consistent minutes the way that he is? Once he starts to struggle, I know what he does on the defensive side, but we have to find ways to score. And we're not going to score with Jaden Hardy on the bench with a DNP. So... I mean, we, we didn't shoot the most inefficient from the field. I mean, we, we shot 40% from three, 42% from the field, which that's below average. We shot 71% from the free throw line. I mean, for God's sakes, the Lakers shot 17% from the three-point line, and we lost this game. 17.6% from three, and we lost. The Lakers put their heads down. They attacked the paint. They attacked the basket, and that's why they won this game. It's it's that simple. Yeah, and honestly, when I look back at this game, the Lakers made a good adjustment. After the Mavs got off to this incredible start, I mean, being up 27 points in the first half, I believe that was the largest deficit that the Lakers had faced this season, or at least it was tied for the largest deficit that the Lakers had faced this season. But the problem is, is that it came in the second quarter for the Mavs. And... You know, it's cliche, but it's kind of appropriate here. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. And the Lakers just started chipping away slowly but surely. And then by the fourth quarter, the Lakers were actually able to take the lead relatively early. And then it was just back and forth. And then you never really know how it's going to play out in those scenarios. But the Lakers, they made some good adjustments. Like Kev said, they attacked the rim and made the most of it. And these are performances that the Lakers are going to have to have from here on out. They're on a three-game win streak right now. So ever since the All-Star break, they've had a relatively good start. And with the Western Conference being as log-jammed as it is, especially in that middle tier of the Western Conference, essentially anything from what I would consider the fifth seed to about the 10th or 11th seed, there's going to be some teams that are going to be opportunistic and try to improve their seeding. And it wouldn't really take that much. It could be something as simple as winning two or three games in a row. And then some of those higher seats, if they drop two out of three games, 
some of these lower seeds like the Lakers could hop in not only to a play-in tournament situation, but it eventually or could possibly just entirely miss the play-in tournament and they could just go into the playoffs outright, which would be what I would consider a dream scenario for the Lakers based on how their season has gone this year with the amount of injuries that they sustained, with the lack of inconsistent play, with the amount of player rotation that we've seen on the roster. If they were to skip the play-in tournament entirely, I think that would give them a lot of momentum going into the postseason. And, you know, this was a good litmus test for the Lakers because they are a relatively older team. The Mavs, look, you got Luka Doncic, one of the best up-and-coming players in the league. You got Kyrie Irving, who has been pretty good so far in his Mavericks tenure, relatively short tenure. But the fact that they were able to lead this comeback and make the in-game adjustments of attacking the basket, attacking one of the vulnerabilities that the Mavericks had, it's like what Kevin said. The Mavericks don't have a reliable big down low to protect the paint. And when the Lakers could not buy a shot behind the three-point line, they made the adjustment of attacking the rim and just going at that all game long, essentially in the second half, because that's really where they made their mark and really got back into this game. Because even at halftime, the Lakers were still down relatively large. It was somewhere between a 15 to 18 point deficit for them. But they just chipped away and... You know, Braun had some good performances. AD had some good performances. Vanderbilt, who has been, I think, one of their shining players ever since that they made the trade with Russell Westbrook involved. He has really stepped up with the Lakers, and hopefully it continues. But but the Lakers, they're in an advantageous spot right here. And if they can make the most of it for the next couple weeks, I think it could bode well for them. And when it comes to the Mavericks, the Mavericks got to look in the mirror. You're up 27 points. You cannot let that lead slip. But I think we're just in the age of the NBA where these massive leads are at risk of being lost, you know? And that's what happened in this scenario with the Mavericks. So, you know, 27-point lead 20 years ago, it would pretty much ensure a team is probably going to win that game. In today's NBA, that does not mean it anymore. So, you know, the Mavericks, it's that second and third quarter that they really got to focus on. And that, that, to me, is where they lost this game. And the fourth quarter, granted, they're one of the best-performing fourth-quarter teams, but not enough against the Lakers. They The Mavericks got outscored in the fourth quarter, so give credit to the Lakers. They made the most of it. But it's going to be very interesting to see how both these teams adjust from this game. The Lakers have a little bit of momentum. Definitely not the case with the Mavs. And we'll see how both teams fare out from here on out. It's a pain... It's a pain as a Mavericks fan to know that games like that are the games that I feel in my gut, negative or not, take it however you will. When we start to slip, I don't trust them to keep that momentum. I don't trust them to get back into the game. It's almost like they check themselves out when they uh, when they fork up a lead like that. And like mm-hmm. you said, they forked up the lead pretty early in the fourth to where a comeback was very possible, very likely. And it was just... Whenever we would get into a rhythm, whenever we'd make a shot, we weren't able to perform on the other end. And it just it, it happens time and time again. Either we let up too easy of points, we aren't able to box out, which leads to offensive rebounds. Or, you know, the offense just goes stagnant, whether that's because we bombard threes, we put too much on Luka, we put too much on Kyrie. I mean, you name it. This is what the Mavericks do. We may be an efficient fourth quarter team, but... In games like this, when it needs to matter the most, I, I really don't know who to trust. And it's 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 really frustrating for me, like I said. So 
if this is what it's going to be for the foreseeable future as uh, as the playoffs near closer, with us technically having the easiest schedule or remaining schedule to close out the second half of the year, I don't really have much faith. And, I mean, can you really blame me after a game like this? 27 points? Like, it's just, it's unfathomable. Well, you know, here's the thing. When I look at the Mavericks, I can't say that they took their foot off the pedal. Like, they were still putting effort out there. Some of it just could be missing shots. And in large part, to me, what really turned the tide of that game in particular with the Mavs was the amount of turnovers that they had. Especially in the second quarter, I think Luca in that quarter alone had three or four turnovers. He had six He's, to freaking end the game. It's it's those type of turnovers. It definitely just kills the momentum, especially when you're up by 20, 25 points plus. But the turnovers that they had, especially late in that first half, they were easy transition buckets for the Lakers. So, you know, it's one thing to get a turnover, but at least if you're able to get back in time, you can at least be able to cover for it. But not all turnovers are the same. They're not all weighed the same because no. if you get an easy transition bucket, man, that's two easy points for the other team. So and there was one play in particular where I thought Reggie Bullock, same thing. He's trying to kick it out to the wing on the right side. He ends up getting it stolen from him on the pass, and it's just a walk-in layup for the Lakers. It's those type of turnovers that could really stifle an offense and just throw the momentum for the opposing team. And that's what happened with the Lakers. The Lakers made the most of those turnovers that they were able to cash in on. And then really once the third quarter got running and gunning, the Lakers went from pretty much about a 17 to 18 point deficit to within like three or four in the third quarter. And then, like you said, it didn't really take that much in the fourth quarter. All you got to do is just stop the Mavericks for two possessions on the one side. And then if you hit back-to-back buckets in back-to-back possessions... You're going to have the lead. So, you know, comes to the Mavericks, this is a big game for them. And like we were both talking about, with the Western Conference being as tight as it is, these games matter from here on out. So, you know, the Mavs are going to have to get back into a rhythm relatively soon. I think they'll do that offensively. It's defensively whether or not that I think they'll they'll be able to hold up, especially around the rim, because I just don't think that their rim protection is reliable. And that's putting it mildly. Mm. I think you would probably put it a little bit more explicitly. But no, I think the Lakers have some momentum. Let's see if they made the most of it. And the Mavs, they got to bounce back really quick because they can't afford to slip. Yeah, we have, we don't have time for that. So it, it, again, it, it is what it is. Not going to harp too much here. I know we got more topics to talk about, especially in the NBA, to a game that was a little bit more entertaining and less painful, at least for me. And, you know, that's going to be the Celtics and the 76ers that took place on Saturday night. Uh, And like Kyle said, it ended in crazy fashion with Joel Embiid coming within basically half of a second. And I don't know if you guys know how fast a second is, but that's pretty damn quick. Half a second from tying the game and going to overtime with Joel Embiid uh, hitting a crazy 65-plus foot shot from three-quarters court. But we got to talk about this game. Both teams are top three seeds, or one of the top three seeds in the Eastern Conference. I mean, along with the you know Milwaukee Bucks, who we'll get to in our next subject or next topic, the Eastern Conference is very, very competitive this year. Very strong, and in a lot of in a lot of instances, some would say that it is more competitive than the West. I mean, the top two seeded teams in the Eastern Conference are better than the top four or five teams in the West. Mm-hmm. It's actually kind of insane. I mean, I think well, Memphis has 
36 wins, and Philadelphia being the third seed has 39 wins. I think you were talking earlier before we started recording, you were saying that the Cavaliers have a better record as the four seed in the Eastern Conference than what the Grizzlies have as the two seed the two in the seed, Western yeah. Conference. Yeah, the Grizzlies have a 36 uh, win. Yeah, the Grizzlies have 36 wins. The Cavaliers have 39. That's the fourth seed. What's the winning percentage for both teams? I don't know if you have both of them pulled up right so there. So the Cavaliers right now have a 609 win percentage, and then the Grizzlies have a 610 win percentage. Okay, so they're basically the same. Right. It's just a matter of, again, just the, the, the top-heavy with wins. Yep. Uh, but like I said, this this game was nuts oh. from start to finish. And I mean, it was, it's, it's always electric when these two teams face off. And uh, I mean, Kyle, to kick this one to you, I mean, what are your thoughts, first of all, overall, on how this game went and if these two teams were to face off in the playoffs, the kind of atmosphere that it's going to present? I think it's going to be electric. And look at it. Look at it like this, Kev. You talk about Boston and Philly. These two cities hate each other. This is not a brotherly love situation when it comes to the atmospheres that come with Boston and Philly. And you know this game lived up to its expectations. This was a back-and-forth game, and it was literally decided by about a half-a-second difference with Joel Embiid not making that shot in time. And, you know, when it comes to these two teams in particular, if they were to meet in the playoffs, I think it would be one of the best playoff series that this postseason would hold. Just because when you look at the 76ers and the Celtics, granted the Celtics are the number one seed in the Eastern Conference, but the 76ers, they are one of those teams that could literally go neck and neck with a team like the Celtics, even though that the Celtics have a better record and a better seed in the Eastern Conference. This series, if it were to go into the playoffs with these two teams clashing, it could potentially be a seven-game series. And, you know, when it really comes to the faith that I have in one team over the other, I would say that I have a little bit more faith in the Celtics than I do the 76ers, simply just because even though that I think the 76ers have better top-end players with Joel Embiid and James Harden, it just seems as if that Boston just puts themselves in situations where they maximize the opportunities presented in front of them. And guys like Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Marcus Smart rise to the occasion to make the most of it. It's not to say that Joel Embiid and James Harden don't do that. It's just, I think more times than not, I would bank more heavily on Boston's top stars to be able to perform at a higher level than what the 76ers top players could do. And, you know, in a seven-game series, I, this series would go back and forth as far as I see it. And I think that home court could definitely play a major factor for both teams. But to me, when it comes to recent history, Boston has been able to prove that they can not only make it to an Eastern Conference Finals, they can make it to an NBA Finals. 76ers, they haven't been able to prove that. They are a very good team. Don't get me wrong. But it just seems as if when it comes to, I would say, their bench, they fall a little bit short. Boston, on the other hand, they show up at the right time. They did that last year to get to the NBA Finals. They fell a little bit short. But I think you know one of these teams could definitely make a case to be able to potentially make it to an NBA Finals. 
Could be this season. I think both teams have prime opportunities to make an NBA Finals this year. But when it comes to which team I would favor more to win a series outright, I would favor Boston a little bit more. Not just because they only won it last year and got all the way to the NBA Finals, but I think that they put themselves in a better position to be able to succeed more than the 76ers by a hair. And honestly, I would love to see both of these teams go back and forth in a playoff series. And I don't want to discount the fact or the possibility that the 76ers could win a series against Boston. That's how I, that's how close I think that a series between these two teams could be. It's just, if I had to bet on it, I'd favor Boston just a little bit more. And it's simply just because some of those guys have been there before, like Jason Tatum, Al Horford. You also got Robert Williams in there. And Marcus Smart. And when it comes to the 76ers, they've had opportunities to, but they haven't maximized that to the point where they've even made an NBA Finals. So, you know, until the 76ers prove otherwise to me, I would still favor the Celtics in a series between these two teams. It's hard for me to be honest with you because, like you said, both teams are very strong, right? Both teams have their stars. Both teams have... They're powerhouse players. Joel Embiid is consistently an MVP candidate year in and year out, probably the most dominant force at the center position we've seen in quite some time. Not that Jokic isn't, but dominance in a, in a different kind of way. Like Jokic is more of a finesse, lay it up, kind of get people more involved as opposed to Joel Embiid is, can be old-fashioned, back to the block, and just kind of just bully you into the paint. He also is creative with his jump shot and uh, his ability to you know have good footwork and finesse you to get you off your feet. But what I'm getting at is when you have games like this in the regular season and they're as close and tight-knit as they are, this would make me believe, along with a lot of other people, I'm sure, that if, this, if these two teams were to meet up in, like, a, I, oh, I would hope, an Eastern Conference Finals matchup, that is a series you want to go 10 games. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum versus James Harden and Joel Embiid. You want to see the role players step up. Marcus Smart and Tyrese Maxey. Obviously, Robert Williams, Tobias Harris. There are just there's so many pieces on each team that I wouldn't say are comparable, but each of them having their specific roles and what kind of drives each team. It, it gives each team their, uh, their respective edges to an extent. And when you have a game like this, like I said, in the regular season, where Jason Tatum doesn't exactly have a Jason Tatum-like game. I mean, he went 7 of 17 from the field. Jalen Brown went 10 of 21. Uh, Jalen led all scores for the, uh, for the, excuse me, he led all Celtic scores with 26. But the team overall is the, the, the big piece that really led this team to, to, to win. And I mean, like, it was very evenly distributed amongst multiple players. Jason had 18. Horford had 15. Williams had 14, Smart had 10, Brown had 26. Der- I always get it confused. It's Derek White that, yes, right? Derek? Devin? Yes, Derek. It is it's Derek. Derek. I, I don't know why I always get that mixed up. Derek and, De- Derek and Devin. I don't know why. Um, he had 18. That is a very evenly distributed box score in terms of just players and efficiency. And then you go and you look. They shot 50% from the field. They shot 44% from the three-point line. The issue is they weren't able to capitalize on free throws, but they also didn't take a lot. They only took 12. Boston's got to attack the paint. Boston's got to find a way to get people out of rhythm 
get their bigs into foul trouble. And by their bigs, got to get Joel off the floor, got to get a couple of other people off the floor. And I just, when you have the matchup that P.J. Tucker presents for Philly and what he's able to do on the defensive side to wreak havoc on specific players like a Jason Tatum, like a Jalen Brown, when he gets matched up on on really, really good offensive players, he always finds a way to be disruptive. He always finds a way to be chaotic. And when, you know, you look at obviously what he's able to do scoring-wise, obviously, P.J. Tucker's not there to score points. (laughs) P.J. Tucker had seven points, but he was plus 21 on the plus-minus. He had 16 rebounds. He is an X factor that people fail to realize, especially the older generation. He's just a body that stands there. He's just there for cardio. No, he gives you 38 minutes and he's guarding the best defender. He's guarding the best player on the court all game long. If he's in the corner, he'll hit a three. If he's got a layup, he'll make it. But he's not going to go out there and create a shot for himself. He's not going to go out there and take a step back three off of a pick and roll at the top of the key. No. He's going to be like, I'm going to guard Jason Tatum for as long as I possibly can. I'm going to hustle and box out as hard as I can. And if I'm open, I'll, I'll try to hit a shot or two. And again, 50% from the three-point line. He was two of four. What more do you want? That's what PJ's there for, you know? Yeah. Oh, okay. I was just looking at something. Um, I've been following the uh, the Trailblazers game. And uh, Dame's having himself quite a game. You're talking about gonna, like 45, 50 or? All right. So I, let, let's have a little fun with this. So how many points do you think he had at the end of the first half? He had a lot. I'm just pointing it out. 34. Okay. He had 41. Wow. At halftime. It is currently the fourth quarter with about five, five and a half minutes left to go in the fourth quarter. Where do you think he's at right now? 69. No. He's at 60. That wasn't on purpose. Sure, sure it was. <laughs> no, he's at 60. You dropped the 60 piece. So I wasn't even done with my analysis for the Celtics, but I'm not even I'm not even upset. Oh, I th- you, t- you took like a long pause. I, I took a long pause because I was regardless, it doesn't make a difference. I was I was kind of I was coming towards my end, but Dame dropping six. Did they win? Are they winning? Uh, the game is well, I can pull it up right here. Just give me one second. I'm just looking up the game right now. The Trailblazers are yeah, they're up by 15. They're playing. They're Houston, up by the, oh, they're playing Houston. So yeah, Dame Dame's got to be sitting down. Hopefully, Damian Lillard's an animal. So shout out to Dame. Um, he well, actually made comments this past weekend. <laughs> they were talking. I forget who he was talking to on a podcast. I don't know if it was Barstool or whatever. And he literally was like, and I quote, he was like, "Y'all better hope I don't win a championship in Portland because I'm gonna be unbearable." Even more so than the freaking 08 Celtics. I mean, listen, I don't know. Again, I think he was talking to Evan Turner. I think Evan Turner has his own podcast, so it wasn't Barstool. And he like looked at he looked at Turner and he was like, he was like, he's like, you know, they don't know. He said, don't let me win a championship in Portland. I'm assuming that means he's going to come back with receipts and talk a lot of shit or drop a mixtape about everybody that doubted the freaking Blazers. Didn't he just drop a like a freestyle on an airplane because oh, yeah, they were yeah, sitting yeah, on yeah, it for like a couple hours? I mean, they must have been so they must have been so bored. That's just listen, and the whole team was vibing too, so that was kind of lit. I I bet. Well, let me honestly swing this back to you. Let me give you the rest of your segment to finish, since I no no no. I I, 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 like I said, I don't have too much more. The point of what I was getting at is 
each team has their respective players that do different things. Robert Williams block shots. P.J. Tucker's out there to guard people. Obviously, Grant Williams is a little bit of an energizer bunny off the bench for the Celtics. Um, obviously, Tyrese Maxey is like that second score when James Harden's having an off night. I'm just so excited for the playoffs that I don't want this to be like a, a second round matchup. This needs to be the Eastern Conference Finals. Like I know that the bucket the Buccaneers, Jesus Christ, I miss football. I know that the Bucks are incredible. I, I love Giannis Antetokounmpo, but in terms of like what I feel the best series would be, these two teams, in my personal opinion, again, I think these teams with them not liking each other, them going back and forth the last couple of years, obviously Jason Tatum taking that next step into his role of being one of the best players in the world. It's just, it's going to be that good. And again, Joel Embiid's got a chip on his shoulder, and I believe he's out to prove that he can be not only an MVP, but he can carry Philadelphia to the promised land of of hopefully at least getting to a finals. But when you have Giannis Antetokounmpo in, in Milwaukee, and obviously Jason and Jalen in Boston, that is one tall task with the East being as good as it is lately. And then honestly, you can't sleep on the Cavs either. Donovan Mitchell, you got Darius Garland, you got Jared Allen over there. I mean, I'm not going to sleep on them either. But I mean, when you look at those top four teams in the Eastern Conference, like those teams are competitive this year. And you know, when it, when it comes to, let me honestly just get this one to you, just just off the top of the head. You think Joel gets an MVP this year, or do you think it's? I think I think he's making a damn good case for it. Like he has the last couple of years, but just kind of comes up a little bit short. But see, this is a thing that I think needs to be accounted for in the metrics, well, in the in the voting process. He's stepping up against good teams. Like he is, he embarrassed Jokic a couple weeks ago or a month ago on national Bo- television. Like bodied him. It was bad. He absolutely just crushed all of Boston with their top bigs playing and available in terms of Robert Williams, and he was able to body Al Hor. Like no matter who was in front of him, Joel had forty one. Should have been 44 if that shot would have counted. It damn near had 50 points against one of the best defensive teams in the league. Mm-hmm. These are the games that people need to circle and say, what did he do when he played marquee talent? Let's circle the big games. Not what he did against the Rockets. Not what he did against the Hornets. What did he do against Boston? What did he do against Giannis? What did he do against Cleveland? Like big, yeah, big time teams. games. Yeah, those prime And I think that that needs to be included. You know, again, I'm still of 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 the notion and the 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 mindset that I still believe that Jokic will win because Jokic leads a lot of statistical categories, and the the, the Nuggets are still number one in the West. Um, Joel Embiid, like I said in my segment originally or my take, he's probably the most dominant big we've seen since Dwight Howard. Probably, it depends on how you define dominant, though. He can put his back to the basket against any big in the league and get a bucket without any finesse. We're talking about sheer brute strength. Joel is a strong physical force. Yeah, because when it comes to Giannis, Giannis definitely has a little bit more finesse in his overall game, just with his overall athleticism. Jokic, to me, is almost kind of like a floor general as a center, which is kind of crazy. But like you said, I think Joel, when it comes to just his pure brute strength, it's not to say that he has no finesse whatsoever. He does have no, no, no. the ability I said, yeah, to be able I said, to... I said it in my point. He's got great footwork. He can shoot the lights out when he gets hot. He's a mid-range shooter. He can shoot off of one foot. I'm saying on the block, put another center, any center in the league, in any conference, Jokic included because he bodied him a lot too. I think he gets a bucket probably like eight out of ten times. I'll tell you what, bro. If Joel is driving down the lane, 
that dude is a freight train. Like, good luck trying to stop him. You know, it, it's not to say that, like, Jokic can do what Embiid can't. I mean, Jokic can do it. I wouldn't say it's probably as graceful, but Jokic is still impactful. But I think with the way that Embiid does it and just his overall dominance at that center position, you can't deny the fact that he should probably be like that top two, top three MVP discussion. And honestly, it's been a consistent theme the last couple of years whenever we've talked about MVP races. It always kind of seems like it revolves around Giannis, Jokic, and Embiid in no particular order. It just happens to be those three guys. You could throw probably Jason Tatum in there as well because... Recently, been, I wouldn't say no. I would say I wouldn't say consistently. I'm saying oh, okay. Let me let me. I would say I would say Steph. Let me, Steph let me, even though the Warriors. Let me rephrase it. This year in particular, in this year yeah. in particular, we could throw Jason in there. Yes. Just because I think Jason's had a really good season this year, but no, it's kind of crazy that with the way that the NBA is being played, especially with this big emphasis on three point shots, when it comes to the actual MVP race, it all is focused around bigs, which is kind of the antithesis of where the game is actually going because it's so dominated by the three-point shot. So, you know, I think Embiid, you know, when he's gone up against that top-tier talent, I think he's proven that in those one-on-one matchups, he is more impactful. He, he just produces more. And I can't deny that. And it's not to say that Giannis doesn't produce. It's not to say that Jokic doesn't produce. But I think people overlook what, what Embiid actually does on a game-in-game-out basis. And in big-time games, he's showing up, bro. Even if it has come in a losing effort. Bro, 41, 12, and 5, or 6, whatever the hell he had against Boston, that is impressive. He basically scored half the team's points. Or damn near scored half the team's points. So, listen, I Embiid probably won't win it. But, man, like you said, he's making the case, bro. I'll give him that. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So... Speaking of a team that's making its case, uh, we got to talk about the Milwaukee Bucks. The Milwaukee Bucks have been on an absolute tear. They've won 14 straight games. And I think it's one of these storylines that I think we've probably overlooked simply just because they've been on this win streak before the All-Star break took place. And when you have that long break, Kev, how long did the All-Star break last? Was it like five days? No, just, I uh... Five, six Officially, days? I, I would say probably about five, six days. And Maybe a week. And, and, and one of the storylines that didn't really, I guess, transition over well, as far as we see it, was this Bucks massive winning streak. And it's come at the hands of Giannis not being available in some of these games due to little injuries that he's picked up here and there. And this past weekend, the Bucks were able to get a huge win against one of the better teams in the Western Conference in the Phoenix Suns, and they're getting good contributions from all sorts of players. Drew Holiday has really stepped up. Chris Middleton has been effective here and there. Grayson Allen has been effective as well. 
So it's not really just all Giannis. There has been multiple players in the fold making some big-time buckets and big-time plays for the Bucs. And as it stands right now, the Bucs are only a half game behind the Celtics for the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. And with basically two months left in the regular season to go, the Bucs have a very good chance to be able to potentially overtake the Celtics for the number one seed if they're able to finish out the rest of the season effectively. So, Kev, to kick this one to you, how impressed are you by this 14-game win streak by the Bucs of late? Dude, the Bucs haven't lost since January 21st. They have basically been winning for over a month. That's that's out that's that's a lot of damn games for a long ass time. So I'm looking at this and I'm saying, well, have they really played anybody? Let's go down the list of people they've beaten, shall we? They beat the Suns, albeit the Suns didn't have KD, but Milwaukee didn't have Giannis. They beat the Heat. I'm going to skip the bad teams, so I'm going to go kind of I'm just going to continue to go down good teams, right? So they played the Bulls, they beat the Bulls obviously. Celtics, Clippers, Lakers, Trailblazers, Heat, Clippers again, Hornets suck, Pelicans still in the race, Pacers suck, they beat the Nuggets, they beat the Pistons, they suck, and the last time they they lost, like I said, was against the Cavaliers, which is the top four-seeded team in the Eastern Conference. They're not beating bums. They had a good couple games where they they blew some bums out. Like I said, they had the you know they had the Bulls on that list, they had the, the, the Hornets on that list, yada yada yada. But I'm talking about Clippers, top seeded team in the West, top four in the West. The Heat are in the playoff hunt. They're like the eighth, seventh seed. Again, I'm not saying that they're good, but they're in a playoff contender. They're not a bottom tier. Trailblazers, again, nothing too impressive. The Lakers are still fighting. They still have LeBron James. They still have Anthony Davis. You know what I'm saying? They still have good players. Again, the Clippers, again, they beat the top-seeded Celtics in the East, best record in the league. They go and they beat the Heat again, and then they go and they beat the Suns. These are not bums. These are good teams. So when people say, oh, it was a favorable schedule, not really. And Giannis has been out a couple of games. So when Drew Holiday steps up and Middleton steps up, Bobby Portis steps up, like Kyle went down the list, this is a very, very well-rounded team. I know that I said I wanted Boston and Philly to face off in the Eastern Conference Finals, but I did Prevy. You can't ignore Milwaukee. Giannis and these boys are a team on a mission. Giannis is one of those silent killers where a lot of Milwaukee games aren't televised. A lot of people aren't talking about him. A lot of people don't really give a shit about the Bucs. They're not in a big city. They're not in a big market. They're not the Knicks. Yada, 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 right? They do these things in silence. It's like Lil Wayne. You know, real G's move in silence like lasagna. Giannis don't care about the media coverage. Giannis doesn't care about the accolades. He wants to win. He won a championship in 2021, dropped a 50-piece in the game six in the finals against the Suns, and ever since then, they have just been silently trying to get back to it. You know what I mean? There's not really big narratives coming out of Milwaukee. They're not making big free agent splashes. They're not making marquee trades. They're not like Giannis isn't in the news for holding the team out with a contract extension. It's just a team that wants to win and a team that is very well put together and is coached incredibly well. So when I look at Milwaukee going on runs like this, I'm surprised because of the length of how long it lasted, but I'm not surprised that the team is producing well. I'm not surprised that there's some, they're one of the best teams offensively. I'm not surprised that they're one of the better teams when it comes to forcing turnovers. They play very well. They have 
two of the better defenders in the league, arguably the best point guard, like the best one-on-one defender in Drew Holiday at the point guard who can guard one through three, I would say that he's probably one of the best on-ball defenders in the NBA. Then you have Giannis, a two-time defensive player of the year, one healthy. They are a deep team. And I think that if people continue to sleep on them, they continue to make this run with them only being a half game out of Boston, the playoffs can very well run through Milwaukee for the remainder of the postseason, not just in the Eastern Conference, but throughout the finals. Because it looks like the playoffs are going to run through an Eastern Conference team regardless if it ends up being either um, Milwaukee or Boston because they have the best record in the NBA as of right now in terms of winning. They have more wins than, than Denver does. And that's assuming that Denver is going to make it out of the second round, which they haven't been able to do in I don't even know how many years. I think since Melo in 2000 and nine 2010 when they were going up against Kobe I just I don't know what is going to happen in the east because of how loaded they are at the top three four teams but when you have moments like this when you have a track history like this if you keep this going going into the playoffs they're going to be the hardest team in the league to stop and when Giannis gets healthy I don't know what else to say man what that man like I said is a man on a mission and he will not be stopped you know the crazy thing is, when it comes to the Bucks, I think the reason why they don't get a lot of media attention compared to some other teams is they're just not flashy. They are a more gritty style team, and it really shows in the playoffs because you know there are games where the Bucks can put up 120, 125, 130 points and look like world beaters offensively, and then there are those games where it's gutter, it's grimy the score is going to be like 90 to 85. I mean, I think there were some playoff games last year, the year before where teams were struggling to even make like 80 points in some of the Bucks playoffs games. And yet they were still able to win those games despite not having great offensive performances. So I've always said this about the Bucks of late. They can win multiple ways. They can blow you out by 20, 25 points and score 130 on your head. And they can win those really defensive-minded contests where each possession matters. And I think, you know, with them being on this 14-game win streak, they've proven that, like you said, they're not just beating subpar talent in this win streak. They are beating some of the best teams in the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference as well. And look, with an opportunity like they have, only a half game behind the Celtics with about two months of the season left to go. I think they're in prime position to potentially overtake the Celtics as a number one seed in the Eastern Conference. And when you have somebody like Giannis Antetokounmpo, who is widely regarded as an MVP candidate this, this year, and he's proven that he's been an MVP candidate for the last couple of years with the way that he's played, you know, it's great to have one of those players who is just one of the most dominant players in the NBA at your disposal, but it's a team effort and they've been able to get great contributions like Kevin outlined. You're getting good games from Drew Holiday, who is one of the best two-way players in the game, you know, not only just offensively, but defensively as well. He's made some crucial plays defensively for the Bucks since he's arrived in Milwaukee. It's just, I would wish he would play a little bit more consistently in the playoffs because he does have this tendency to have some really cold games when it comes to playoff time, if he's able to turn that around in his upcoming playoff stretch, I think that'll serve Milwaukee extremely well 
going into this upcoming postseason. You know, Chris Middleton, Chris Middleton is just one of those mid-range killers. Is he as effective as he's been in years past? No, but you still have to be able to respect his game, game in and game out, because he could still go out there and drop 20, 25 points for you alongside with, with what Giannis can do, being the primary factor offensively. But to me, when it comes to Milwaukee, is are they going to be able to effectively play this style of basketball in the playoffs? And in recent history, it hasn't really shown that. They kind of turn into a more defensive-minded team in the playoffs. And it's not to say there's nothing wrong with that. It's just there are some games where you need to be a little bit more offensively minded. And they do have an issue sometimes of getting other players and scoring opportunities outside of Giannis because there are games where Giannis could carry at least a third of the team's points. And some of the games, Giannis could carry 40% of the team's points. It works out if you're playing good defense on the other side, but if you're not and you're giving up points on the other end, you're going to have other guys that are going to need to step up and contribute. And the biggest thing with me is if Milwaukee's going to make another finals this year, you know, they're going to have to get good, good contributions from Giannis. I don't, I'm not going to miss that point entirely, but they're going to have to get some great contributions from their bench. And guys like Grayson Allen can step up and make some big buckets for them, especially late in game in crucial moments in the game. That's going to be critical. So overall, it's a great stretch that they've been on. 14 games in a row is impressive. I think just the all-star break being in the middle of this winning streak as well, I think it kind of threw off how impressive this run has been, especially when it comes to just the narrative overall. And like I said, they got about 20 games left to go for the season. It's up to them whether or not they want to go for that number one seed. And like Kev said, have the playoffs in the Eastern Conference run through Milwaukee. They have a great chance to do it, and we'll see whether or not that they could be able to achieve that. The playoffs are going to be great this year. Like, I know that I've said that a, th- a thousand times. I know we talk about it every year. And I know it's obvious. It's like, well, no shit, they're going to be great. The, the mm-hmm. NBA playoffs are some of the best playoffs in all of sports because every single series is best of seven. Mm-hmm. And when you really just look at the overall standings, as it stands right now, by the way, Dame ended up with 71. Guys, that's the second 70-point game of the year. 71? Yeah, that's the second. They must have kept him in. The they kept yeah, him they in. Kept, they, they kept him in. They probably wanted him to chase Kobe's record. Ten away from Kobe. Uh, R.I.P. to the one of the goats. That's impressive. Um, Seventy-one. Jesus. So, yeah, seventy. That's ridiculous. So, as it stands right now, it's Boston, Milwaukee, Philly, Cleveland, Brooklyn, New York, the Heat, and then Atlanta at the top eight seeds. And, and Atlanta just had a Western g- Conference. I think Trey had Atlanta a game just winner. had a game against the Nets. In the Western Conference, it's the Nuggets, Grizzlies, Kings, Suns, Clippers, Mavs, Warriors, Timberwolves. Now, as it, Kyle alluded to, the God, the freaking fifth from the four, no, from the fourth seed all the way down to the Lakers at the eleventh seed are three and a half games apart. That's crazy. The Suns are 33 and 29. They're tied with the Clippers at 33 and 29. The Mavs are 32 and 30. The Warriors are 30 and 30. The Timberwolves are 31 and 31. The Jazz are 31 and 31. The Pelicans are 30 and 31. And the Lakers are 29 and 32. Literally two and a half, if not three and a half games between every single one of these teams from four to 11. It's crazy. 
honestly, the West, the, the West, the second half of the season is all about the Western Conference in terms of like who's going to make the damn playoffs. Yeah, and honestly, it could literally change game to game mm-hmm. with it being that close mm-hmm. of the seedings. But don't be surprised Dallas messes around and falls into a play-in seed. Don't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised at all. And I mean, who knows? If the Lakers really Lack play of their defense, pro- promise you what's going to happen. Steph's going to come back. The Warriors are going to be right back in there. They'll be fine. The, the Warriors are going to be fine. They're not going anywhere. Once Steph gets back into a group, oh, I got to say, bro, Clay was cooking the other night. He had 12 oh, he had threes. 12 threes. Cooking. Yeah. He's the all-time been, he's been, leader in, I think, 10-plus uh, threes in a game. Yeah, I he think three. he actually. I think he, two. Yeah, I think he has more than Steph. So I, I saw yeah, that same. He has three I, I saw, that, I saw that same graphic Nuts. that you saw. So, hey, bro, that's Splash Brothers for you. Some vintage performances. That's what You're gonna they do, do, bro. This is what they do. I know. I'm never gonna count out Golden State. Never. You can't. You know, just when you think that they're out, they come, come right back. Nowhere. Exactly. So, so if Steph gets into a groove when he comes back, bro, watch out. Agreed. That is going to be a. That's always a team you got to keep your eye on. But you know, unfortunately, we do have to transition off of the NBA, and we're going to move on to our NFL topics. We're going to continue our our segments that we've been doing on you know a couple of things that some teams need to improve for next year, and we finally reached to our final segment of the playoff teams. So we're going to go over the Philadelphia Eagles who fell short to the Kansas City Chiefs in Super Bowl Fifty Seven, and then we're going to go into the Chiefs. Yep. So, um, how do you want to kick me the the Eagles one first, and then we'll kind of move into the Chiefs afterwards? Say no more, brother. I got it from here. Uh, when it comes to the Eagles, they had a fantastic year. Finished as the number one seed in the NFC. Got all the way to the Super Bowl. It was a relatively easy path for them. They pretty much blew out every team that they faced uh, going into the Super Bowl. And then they were competitive in the Super Bowl, going toe-to-toe with the Chiefs the entire game. And unfortunately, uh, James Bradbury came up with uh, a holding call on, I believe it was Juju, Juju Smith-Schuster, that essentially led to the game-winning field goal for the Chiefs, which led to the Chiefs winning Super Bowl 57. But nonetheless, overall, Nick Sirianni, great season with the head coach in Philly. Jalen Hurts had an MVP-worthy season. The defense stepped up pretty big in multiple spots throughout the season. They fell unbelievably short in the Super Bowl, giving up 38 points to the Chiefs. But nonetheless, the Eagles are in a prime position to be able to be able to compete in the NFC for the foreseeable future, but they have some free agents that they need to attend to this offseason. And a lot of them are actually on the defensive side of the ball. So there could be a pretty sizable roster turnover that is going to take place in Philadelphia. But they still got Nick Sirianni as their head coach. They got Jalen Hurts as their franchise quarterback from here on out. And some of their core players are going to stick around, but it I'm going to round back to that free agents part. They got a pretty big free agent list to go over this offseason and could definitely have an impact with how the offseason is going to plan out for the Eagles as far as I see it. So, Kev, to kick this one to you, what are some things that you need to... Let me rephrase that. What are some things that the Eagles need to attend to this upcoming offseason? Well, I mean, you said it. The biggest thing for me is retaining whatever they can. They're already in the hole when it comes to the cap. They're already talking about extending Jalen Hurts upwards of 45 to $50 million a year in terms of that contract. You have players like Brandon Graham, Hargrave, Jason Kelsey contemplating retirement, but still technically qualified as a free agent. Gardner Johnson, 
Uh, obviously, you have um, James Bradbury, you have Miles Sanders, you have Boston Scott. I, the, 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 the list truly and honestly is endless in terms of what players are available for free agency when it comes to Philadelphia. So my biggest need is managing the salary cap. Who are you willing to let go? Who are you willing to retain? Who are you willing to restructure? Who's willing to take a pay cut? Who are you going to draft? Are you going to trade up in the draft? Are you going to trade back in the draft? Are you going to sign people and trade them? There, Howie Roseman has a very tall task in front of him. We made a video similar to this a couple of weeks ago about Philly potentially being a one-and-done team because of all the players they have on this roster right now or right as the Super Bowl ended. They're not all going to be back. So the odds of them making a run as dominant as they did this season are very slim. Unless Howie, Howie goes and, and, and signs Jalen Hurts to like a, a veteran minimum deal, which we all know is impossible, Jalen Hurts went out and potentially outperformed, depending on who you ask, Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl, and they fell short, yes. But a performance like that, a season like that, that kind of increases your value that much more, especially when you're like... Yeah, I may have fumbled the ball, but we sure shit didn't lose because of me because I went out and scored four touchdowns. That's on the defense. No pass rush, no turnovers. So that's what I'm looking at, right? So top priority is definitely going to be maintaining their salary cap. And second for me, because I don't have a whole lot of critiques, is going to be who are they hiring to replace their coaching staff? They lost Shane Steichen because he's the head coach of the, uh, the Indianapolis Colts. They lost Jonathan Gannon, who was their defensive coordinator, who is now the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. It is going to be a matter of who steps in and replaces the coaches that put these players in the position to win. Nick Sirianni has got a tall task in front of him in hiring coaching staff to replace, and then Howie Roseman's got the tallest task to seeing what team he can bring back. If not, what team is he going to basically rebuild to try to bring the Eagles back to the Super Bowl? So I would say managing the cap and then having to figure out what you're going to do with your coaching staff. That's, those are going to be my two issues. Yeah, and Kev, to go over the free agent list, I actually have the list right here, if you don't mind. Can I list off some of the players Absolutely. that are going to be on the free agent list for the Eagles? You got Fletcher Cox, one of their core players on the defensive side of the ball. He's been there for years. Brandon Graham, one of their defensive captains. Jason Kelsey, another captain. He's 35 years old on the offensive line. Retirement could be a real possibility for him this offseason, but who knows? He may come back for another season of football. You got James Bradbury. Unfortunately, got a holding call in the Super Bowl against him, but still one of the better corners in the NFL. He's only 29 years old. Outside of that, you got some offensive players to take care of. You got Miles Sanders. You got Boston Scott. I mean, these are some pretty big name players. And then if I had to throw one more name out there on the defensive side of the ball, it's going to be Chauncey Gardner Johnson. So, you know, this is kind of the double-edged sword that comes with the Eagles. The Eagles definitely went all in to try to get a Super Bowl before Jalen gets this massive contract extension, which is going to happen eventually. And Jalen's going to be making somewhere around 40 to $45 million a year. They went all out, and they fell just a little bit short. They got to the big game, but just couldn't bring the Lombardi Trophy home to Philly. And I will say, just with how things are looking, this is going to be a completely different team going into next season. But they're still going to be competitive in my eyes. So if there's one thing if I had to point to when it comes to something that they can adjust this offseason, Kev, this is something that really showed itself in the Super Bowl. I know that they have a pretty decent pass rush, but the fact that this pass rush wasn't able to show up in the biggest game of the year 
is a little bit concerning. The Eagles are still one of the better teams when it comes to just overall sacks. They led the league in sacks this year. But in the biggest game of the year, they were a no-show. And we already know that this team is going to look a little bit different going into this upcoming season. So people that are thinking, oh, well, what they did this year is going to transition into next year. That's not going to be the case. More than likely, this team is going to have a drop-off with the amount of sacks that they have or they had from this past season. Now, when it came to them, they were a couple sacks from getting the all-time record in the NFL for one set, for the amount of sacks in one season. I think that they're going to have a pretty precipitous drop-off. And to me, it's how big is a drop-off going to be? Because, you know, when you hit 70 sacks, more than likely you're not going to be able to match that or supersede that. So you're going to be in a situation where, okay, if we're dropping down from 70, how many sacks do we have to get to be able to still be a productive pass rush? If they could get somewhere around 45 to 50 sacks as a unit going into next year, despite the offseason moves that are going to take place, I think that would be a success in my eyes. But if they go anything below that, if they're kind of treading around 40 to 35 sacks going into next year, uh, that's going to be a failure as far as I see it. So they're going to have to make some moves to be able to retain some of their players on their pass rush. And like I already said, they have a lot of free agents that free agents that they need to attend to this offseason. But, you know, when it came to their pass rush, they were great throughout the regular season. They were great in some of these playoff games that they had. But in the biggest game of the year, they fell completely short. They fell flat on their face when it came to their pass rush. And that was despite the fact that Patrick Mahomes was limited going into that game with the amount of uh, injuries that he was dealing with throughout the game. Because he had that high ankle sprain before the game had even taken place and re-aggravated it before halftime. So overall, I still believe the Eagles are going to be a competitive team. They're going to compete for one of the top spots in the NFC next year. I don't know if they'll be the number one team in the NFC, but they're going to be in the contention for it. But they went all in this past season. They fell a little bit short. And some things are going to change because of that. Overall, the Eagles, you know, they're going to have a lot to attend to this offseason. But I think if they made the right moves to form a decent roster going into next year, I think they have a very good chance to be able to potentially make another NFC Championship game. And then who knows, maybe get to another Super Bowl. But time will tell. A lot of things are going to happen. Jalen's eventually going to get his contract extension, which is going to really change some things with the team. And we'll see where it goes from there. It's going to be painful. For Philly fans, man, like that run is going to go down as unfortunately a failure because they didn't hoist the trophy up. My biggest thing is just specifically, I genuinely don't know how they're going to do that in terms of bring people back unless Jalen takes less money. And for Jalen, who didn't have the greatest or biggest rookie contract, I don't necessarily know if he's going to be willing to take that significant cut this early in his career because he played such a great season as a whole, an MVP candidate. He had a great postseason, a great Super Bowl. He's got to capitalize on the opportunity here because, again, knock on wood, God forbid he were to get hurt at some point throughout this contract. There's no guarantee he's going to get another contract of this magnitude, if not of this of this length. They're probably going to commit to him for five, six years. So it's just a matter of, okay, what are we going to do? Technically, Jalen's on the last year going into this 
fiscal year for the NFL after March or whenever the contracts all go into to effect. He's got one year left on his rookie deal, and this extension won't kick in until next season. But again, Philly is already in the hole technically in terms of what they have to pay out for their cap. So Philadelphia has a lot of problems to work on this offseason. They may not have a lot of personnel issues in terms of officially, but if people leave in free agency, they're going to have some depth issues. So it is definitely something to look forward to, and uh, we'll kind of keep you guys abreast on, on names that we hear, rumors that we have attached to it. The draft is obviously coming up next month or in a month and some change, but we'll kind of just we'll dive right into the Kansas City Chiefs, and I'm assuming... Okay, I was just making sure. I'm assuming my partner had a little bit of an allergy thing right here. Oh, it's, I saw the camera. Oh, it, it's coming. It, 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 dude, I know we're on the last segment, but it's like... I had a little bit of a flare, but I'm feeling good right now. So every time I step off, like right when you record, I go blow my nose or I just wash out my eyes. So, dude, we're in the same boat. Let's kind of wrap this up right here. Kyle, Kansas City Chiefs, Super Bowl champions. You can't really improve upon winning the, winning the whole thing. That's what that's what you're there to do. But you have Patrick Mahomes, you have Travis Kelsey, and uh, you have Andy Reid, which is a successful formula for anybody, if anything. So, what do you think some top needs are for the Chiefs moving forward? Well. When it comes to the Chiefs, it's it's kind of hard to pick some issues because they won the Super Bowl this year. So, you know, all the teams that we've covered so far, you know, they fell short. This was the goal that they were trying to get, and the Chiefs got the goal. They won the Super Bowl. And, you know, going into this year, or going into this offseason, I should say, you know, there are some things that they need to take care of. I think one of the things that they need to focus on is whether or not they're, they're going to be able to retain Orlando Brown. He's one of their free agents this offseason. He's their starting left tackle. And if they're able to bring him back, if they're able to lock down that side of the offensive line, which would be Patrick's blind side, I mean, that would be critical. I mean, if you're able to lock down that side of the offensive line to be able to give him protection as far as giving protection for Pat, I think that's going to serve them pretty well. Uh, when it comes to their free agent list, it's not as extensive compared to some other teams. We just talked about the Philadelphia Eagles. And when you talk about the Eagles, they have a large portion of their defense that is going to be potentially on the move this offseason. When it comes to the Chiefs, when it comes to some bigger name players, a lot of these guys were either on one-year deals or are like third or fourth on the depth chart when it comes to their respective positions on the field. I mean, there's some other free agents that I could list off here. You've got McCole Hardman, who's been around for a couple of years. You've got Jarek McKinnon. You've got Juju Smith-Schuster. You've got Ronald Jones. Like, I could also throw one more in there in Carlos Dunlap. You know, there are some bigger name players. If you're a Chiefs fan, you probably think that these are going to be some big guys to retain. You know, I talked about Orlando Brown. He's somebody that I think that they should probably try to resign. I think the same thing should be applied to Jarek McKinnon. Because when it came to Jarek McKinnon's total effectiveness this year, Kev, there were points in time where Pat was looking at him constantly throughout games. And I think there was a five or six game stretch in a row where he brought in a touchdown, if not more. I remember there was a certain stretch of the season where he was a really hot commodity in fantasy. And no wonder, because Pat would just throw it to him on the check down. And Jarek McKinnon is definitely one of the more athletic running backs that we have in the NFL currently. So... If you're looking to round out that running back core, look, they have Isaiah Pacheco, who's probably going to be their main down back from for probably the next couple of years as far as I see it. 
but you're going to need a consistent third down back. And I think that Jarek McKinnon's going to fill that spot quite nicely. And when it comes to the Chiefs, though, defensively, they are still a little bit weak. When it came to the Super Bowl, they gave up 35 points. Now, granted, they were going up against a good offense in the Eagles. I'll give the Eagles their credit there. But in a Super Bowl, the defense is going to be, have to be able to step up. And more than likely, there's going to be some adjustments that are going to need to be made. They don't need to really focus on the pass rush because Frank Clark and Chris Jones, they're able to bring effective pass rushes. Now, Frank Clark does have, I think he has a player option this year. He could potentially opt out of his contract. Now, if he were to opt in, he would stick around for another year. He signed a two-year deal uh, last season. So if he were to play out this year of, of his contract, he would be a free agent next season. But that's going to be something that we're going to have to monitor uh, for the next couple of weeks because he could potentially be looking to maximize his value and get a longer-term deal, especially coming off the Super Bowl. Uh, he could definitely take advantage of it as far as I see it. But overall, you know, when it comes to the Chiefs, they won the Super Bowl. There's going to be some things that they need to attend to. I think a lot of these issues that they're going to, going to attend to are mostly predicated farther down the depth chart, not the primary starters at each respective position. But overall, if I had to say some issues that they need to attend to when it came to their starters, it would be on the defensive side of the ball. And like I said, giving up 35 points in the Super Bowl kind of indicates that. And going into next year, they're still going to be the, the top dog in the AFC as far as I see it. Somebody's going to have to knock them off at that perch. And honestly, I'm not really going to bet against Pat and Andy Reid. I think they have a very good chance to end up in a similar position as they did this past season. And it wouldn't surprise me in the least if they end up back in another Super Bowl going into next year. So then Kyle covered the defense. I'll just dive right into the offense. I think that the Chiefs, obviously, outside of their left tackle, like Kyle had also mentioned with Orlando Brown, you got to figure out what you're doing at the wide receiver position. Because, obviously, other than Marquez Valdez-Scantley, Juju Smith-Schuster was on a one-year deal. McCole Hardman was, is, is gone. And then, obviously, you, go, you look at the running backs. Isaiah Pacheco's a rookie, but McKinnon is probably going to be gone. Obviously, at that point, you have Clyde, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who was their starter, drafted out of LSU a few years ago, who has plummeted down the depth chart. He is more than likely going to end up being a free agent as well if he's not released. So it's like, yes, you have Patrick Mahomes. Yes, you absolutely have Travis Kelsey. Yes, you have a solid offensive line in front of you and a potentially good running back, but he did best in a system where he was kind of splitting carries with McKinnon. I would probably say they really need to focus on either bringing Juju back, targeting a free uh, a free agent wide receiver, um, or even drafting somebody. I know they have Sky Moore, but he isn't someone that's going to be consistent playing the X or the Y on the outside. He's more of a slot receiver slash somebody who's going to be more known for trickery like Kadarius Tony. They have a lot of options with those two players who are used a lot in motions and jet sweeps. And like I said, kind of slot drags across the field, but nobody that's going to go out there and, and become a Tyree kill for you. No one, no one that's out there is going to demand a double coverage. Or, or demand a double team, should I say. So Kyle focused on, obviously, like he said, you know, Frank Clark and, and a couple of other pieces on the defensive side. You got to kind of improve. But when it comes to the offense, Pat needs targets. Pat needs someone to throw to. Pat needs someone he can hand it off to and rely on. So if you had to kind of pin it, left tackle for me is a priority. Figure out what you're doing with, with Orlando Brown, whether you have to tag him again or figure out a contract extension. Um, that's, that's pivotal. Quarterback's blindside is huge. 
got to find some wide receiver depth. And then, of course, you got to figure out what you're doing with the running backs. Because if Pacheco's the only running back on this system, on this staff, he's going to get burnt out really quick. And I don't know if he's a, a, a first, second, and third down back to carry the shoulder or sh- carry the load on his shoulders for the Kansas City Chiefs moving forward. Yeah. But, you know, when it comes to the Chiefs, man, they're Super Bowl champs. And I think, you know, when it comes to the issues that they're dealing with compared to the team that lost the Super Bowl in the Eagles, a little different. Could be a little bit different. So, honestly, I think the way that this team is set up, I think they'll be pretty competitive going into next year. I'm going to pull up their 2024 free agents just because I want to see where they stand going into next offseason. They have Chris Jones, Frank Clark, if he were to stick around this year, if he were to opt into his contract. And then after that, you got Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. You got Willie Gay. You got Legereus Sneed. Legereus Sneed's going to get probably get a bigger contract because he's one of their premier corners. corners. So next year, they'll have some bigger name players that they need to attend to in free agency. But I think in this year, I think this is more focused on... These are more backup... I don't want to say backup role. These are just guys that are farther down the depth chart. I don't think there's like a lot of guys that I could really look to when it comes to their free agent list this year that a lot of these guys are starters. A lot of these guys are probably those those second and, and third position players at each respective position. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with, with the Chiefs. But overall, I think the Chiefs are going to be the top dog once again next year. They have a very good chance to be in that position. And that's despite being in a very competitive division in the AFC West. So Agreed. we'll see how things play out. But I do want to end uh, the episode with something that we already touched on earlier. I, I honestly have to give a tip to the cap to Damian Lillard for dropping 71 points. I, th- I think a round of applause is definitely deserved for Damian Lillard and the performance that he had. Fire. Uh, hit his career high at 64 and said, you know what? Let me get seven more. Let me get 71 to round out this game. I mean, look, it was against Houston. So, Houston's not the most impressive team, but 71 points is 71 points. Houston is still an NBA-level team as far as I see it. And the fact that Dame was just knocking down shots left and right, I believe it is the highest shooting performance as far as points has been scored in the game since, what, Kobe? No, Donovan Mitchell had 70 this year. I'm saying, well, he scored more. He scored more. Who? What I'm saying, Dame. Who was the last person that had a higher total than what Dame just scored that didn't match? I think Donovan had 71 or 72. Okay, if he had 72, then that's what I'm saying. This season, like it was, like it had. Hold on, now now you got me doubting myself. Because if it's set, because I don't know, I know Donovan had 71. Okay, so he tied it. Okay. Yep. Okay, so they're still 10 away from Kobe, which is crazy. It's just, I think Dame did it on, what, 36 shots? He was 22 at 36 from the field. I think I have that stat correct. At least I, I hope. I do not know. I'm trying see. to figure out Donovan Mitchell's like shooting percentages when the, the day he scored that. Damian Lillard, he dropped. Let's look this thing up. 
All right, in this game. The game he here. scored 71. Donovan Mitchell was 22 of 34. Okay, I was, I was a little bit off. It wasn't 36 attempts. It was 38. He was 22 However, of 38. However, Donovan did that in OT. Damian wins. Dame did that in four. Yeah, I'll give the edge to the Dame. Dame yep. did it in regulation. 22 of 38. 13 of 12 behind the three-point line. Or 13 of 22 behind the three-point line. Excuse me. And he was 14 of 14 from the free-throw line. That's impressive, bro. That is And Donovan impressive. missed five free throws. Damn, you could have had 76. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, shout, again, shout out to both. Amazing offense. Yeah, uh, uh, obviously. But, uh, so, no, I, just, I honestly wanted to round this out with giving Dame his shine because I think it's well-deserved. Big facts. But, uh, guys, that's going to wrap it up. Kyle and I are fighting the allergy demons tonight. It's going to be a very coming. long couple weeks. We, so, I have to say, we made it well to be... We made it well, relatively well through this. So, agreed. Could have been Let's worse. wrap this up, uh, we're, guys. We're grateful for for everything that we've achieved. Again, incredible week in terms of success. Number wise, we're doing great. Whether it's audio, YouTube, I mean, a, 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 anywhere, we're just again grateful for any kind of support that we can get. And um, as the week progresses, we'll keep you guys abreast with what we're doing. But you know, kind of business as usual. Not going to stop. Probably see us again on Thursday. And uh, other than that, Kyle, if that's everything, we'll wrap it up right here. Yeah, I mean, outside of that, just once again, thank you guys for tuning in. Appreciate the support wherever it's coming from, whether it's the audio platforms, watching us on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok. We appreciate all the support that we can get. And like Kev said, we'll be back here for a Thursday night record, and then you guys will see it on Friday. So until then, take it easy, you guys. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for season two of the Wanna Bet podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that season two starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric Acid. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here. And I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, The Spanish Remixes, out now on Electric Acid Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music.